everybody got reps today at quarterback. Um, you know, I'm not a stats guy, so we're not interested in what, what their statistics were. Uh, we are going to be interested when we watch the film and, you know, how did they execute? Did they throw the ball the right place at the right time? Were they accurate in what they did? Did they take care of the ball? Uh, so that we have a chance to, you know, play winning football at that position. And that's what we'll be evaluating. Hello and welcome to Always College Football, a busy day here on Monday, August 14th. Just a couple days away from the first games getting underway here 12 days from now. So very exciting time. And we finally got our hands on the AP poll. Some of you choose to just take the AP poll, throw in the trash. Perfectly fine by me. I'm going to explain why you don't need to necessarily do that because there are some trends that can be applied to this upcoming season. I also am going to take you around the country. We're going to go all over the place. A lot of scrimmages this past weekend. We're going to take you to Columbus. We're going to take you to Tuscaloosa. We're going to take you to Athens, Georgia. We're going to take you to Los Angeles, California. We're going to take you to Austin, Texas. We're going to bounce around and tell you a few little tidbits that we picked up from some of our sources here in the last 48 to 72 hours. So a jam-packed and very busy edition of Always College Football. I continue to ask you and Please, please, please continue to contribute ratings, subscriptions to the podcast, reviews to the podcast. Anywhere where you get your podcast would be terrific. We appreciate our numbers have gone up drastically in large part due to your efforts in spreading the word about what we're doing here on Always College Football. And then if you're here on the ESPN YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up, subscribe to the ESPN YouTube channel. That'd be really valuable as well. So a ton that we need to get to. Let's not waste any additional time. Let's dive in right now to the AP Top 25. AP Top 25 officially out. Let's start with just a quick reminder that preseason polls are strictly a starting point. Now, for those that say they shouldn't exist, I completely disagree with you. Part of the reason why I think they should exist is because it generates interest and it generates conversation. And it leads us to week one with more intrigue. For instance, last year, I'll give you an example. We called... Kentucky against Florida in week two. Both teams squarely ranked in the top 20 at that point. Neither team ultimately ended up being very good, but there was a lot of eyeballs. There was a lot of attention. There was a lot of urgency going into that broadcast because people were interested based on the number next to the name. So a lot of people say, well, you know, they shouldn't do that. It, it leaves, it gives off a false impression that the team played a tough schedule or an easy schedule or what have you. No, all I ask is for the AP voters to be very fluid in their evaluation of the program. So for instance, back in 2014, this is probably one of the better examples that we've been able to point to in recent history about an unwillingness to adjust to the rankings, adjust the rankings as they should have been adjusted. Florida State won the national championship in 2013. If anybody watched Florida State in 2014 would tell you that team had major flaws, major flaws. They won so many games with just crazy second half comebacks, but they looked awful, frankly. I mean, from start to finish, yes, Jameis Winston was spectacular and somehow willed them to victory each and every week. And they finished the season undefeated, but they were never very good. All you do is just watch, just watch the team. I'm not saying we need to have the eye test or the game metrics that would in indicate dominance and game control and all this other stuff. Just watch the team. Did they click on all cylinders? No. So why are they still ranked at the top? They clearly had flaws. They should have been dropped. 
They were never dropped. And then they got their doors blown off by Oregon in the semifinal game. So just adjust accordingly. I'm fine with preseason polls, but don't use them and treat them as though they're the word of God. Just because you have a team at number one doesn't mean you have to keep them at number one if they don't look good in the first month of the season. Drop them down and evaluate them based on what they've done, not by what they were coming into the season. That's all I ask. And I think the AP poll, by the way, is a thankless job. So I appreciate everybody that takes the time and effort to put a poll together and a top 25 together. And for everybody that is really upset about how their team ranked, I challenge you, try putting together a top 25 team and not have our top, top 25 ranking and not have some redundancies and then have some things where you, you know, I kind of like this team because of their eye test. I kind of like this team because of returning starters. I kind of like this team because of the schedule they had to play. I kind of like this team because of where they stand in their respective conference. It's really, really difficult to put together. So I appreciate all the AP poll voters for taking the time to do it because it gives us something to talk about. And preseason rankings do matter because it generates interest. If anything that could generate interest for our sport, I am in favor of. So all I'm asking is that be willing to adapt and adjust to what your eyes tell you as the season starts. Let's start with Georgia Bulldogs. They are number one. They took home 60 of 63 first place votes. That's where I have an issue with it. Georgia is the undisputed, undefeated heavyweight champion for the last two years. They should have gotten all the first place votes. But just a second time in program history, when they start the season ranked number one. The other time was in 2008. And 17 of the last 19 programs to start the season number one in the AP poll came short of their preseason expectations. Only two teams ended up winning the national championship in the last 19 years that were ranked preseason number one. That was 2017 Bama, ironically against Georgia in the national championship. And then that was 2004 USC. So being number one in the preseason hadn't always been great. But then again, given what Georgia's done up to this point, it'd be hard to have anyone else in that top spot. At number two, the Michigan Wolverines, the highest ranking to begin the season since 1991. They've been in the top five in the preseason 18 times in their history. And they've only finished in the top five once. So something to keep an eye on. They have not handled expectations very well over the course of history. Granted, 150 years of Michigan football, so take it with a grain. But I believe this team's the real deal. And if you actually look at the numbers and the points next to every team, yes, Michigan's two, Georgia's one. But the gap between two and three as far as points is fairly considerable. Ohio State comes in at number three. They start in the top three each of the last 12 seasons. So not a stranger to the top of the preseason rankings are the Buckeyes. Number four, Alabama comes in. It's their lowest preseason ranking since 2009. And Alabama won the national championship in 2009. They started that year at number five. And I happen to know a little bit about that team. LSU, their highest preseason ranking at number five. Since 2016, USC follows them. They're the first of the Pac-12 teams when you take that into account. And then Penn State, since 2004, just keep in mind, one through seven, I just gave them to you. Since 2004, every single national champion was ranked in the AP preseason top seven, with the lone exception being Auburn in 2010. So if you're looking for a place to kind of draw a line, and say, hey, here's the national champion this year. 
based on what we've seen every year for the last 18 years, you can stop at number seven, consider all teams one through seven. That's a pretty safe bet based on recent history. At number eight, Florida State. At number nine, Clemson. Florida State back in the top 10 for the first time since 2017. And Clemson at number nine, their lowest ranking in the preseason since 2015. First time they've started outside of the top five since 2015. Remember in 2015, they finished number two to Alabama in what was a remarkable national championship game. Interesting there between the eight and nine. Florida State ahead of Clemson. Clemson's dominated, dominated the ACC for the last six or seven years. Florida State, with what they have coming back, I completely agree with the ranking. I think Clemson's got a chance to be really, really good, but based on what we know, based on what we've seen last year, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to this year, but based on what we saw last year, Florida State's roster is more well-equipped based on what we know than Clemson's at the moment. Remember, though, early in the season, Florida State heads to Death Valley. We'll have to take on the Tigers there in a very difficult place to play. Washington rounds out the top 10. It's their highest ranking since 2018 when they started the season ranked sixth. Then Texas is in at number 11. It's their highest preseason ranking since 2019. I almost feel a little bit. Now, you guys tell me. I've been high on the Longhorns this year. You guys know that. We've talked about it all offseason. But Texas, I feel like AP voters are a little bit reluctant because they've been burned by Texas before. Understandable. We have looked, how many different times have we looked at Texas and said, oh, well, they're back. Oh, well, they're back. Oh, well, they're back. And then they're not. But if you look at what they have on paper and what Texas has from a roster standpoint, quarterback, check. Wide receivers and weapons, check. Running back, feeling very good about the pecking order that's emerging there. Offensive line, feeling as though that group could be better. The front seven defensively might be the best front seven we've seen from Texas in quite a while. And then the back end as well. Texas has everything that you could possibly want. The problem is they also have the target. Will they be able to handle the expectations in the Big 12 when they are, without question, the team to beat in the league? At number 12, Tennessee. Very, very appropriate spot, I think, for the volunteers to start the season. Had they been ranked in the top 10, that would have felt a little bit high, especially knowing some of the pieces that they have to replace. But I think 12 is about right for the volunteers at the moment. Notre Dame comes in at number 13, probably a little bit low, just a little bit, but an opportunity to earn it there throughout the course of the season. I mean, Notre Dame has a really difficult schedule. They play Ohio State. They obviously play USC. They have plenty of, they play Clemson. So they play three teams on their, on their schedule that are ranked currently in front of them in the AP top 25. So Notre Dame, plenty of opportunities to elevate from where they're at right now at number 13. Utah coming in. It's crazy to me. When you really think about Utah, back-to-back defending Pac-12 champ, and yet they still seemingly always get disrespected. They right now, according to the AP, would not be playing for the Pac-12 championship. Of course, USC and Washington occupy the top two spots in the Pac-12, but a very deep league, as you'll come to find out here in just a minute. Oregon, another team from the Pac-12, in at number 15, maybe slightly low, but understandable, a little bit of difference with the new offensive coordinator, a couple of pieces that are starting to emerge defensively, 15 probably about right. Kansas State, maybe a little high, I thought for me. Knowing what they have to replace, look, I know the culture, I know the roster, 
I know the pieces that they lost both offensively and defensively. I think they lost arguably their three best players. And to think that that is a developmental program to replace Malik Knowles, to replace Deuce Vaughn, to replace the front pieces that they had defensively will not be an easy task, but they should be pretty dang good naturally. However, at 16 feels just a tiny bit high. TCU's in at number 17, also just a little bit high for me. I think they come back just a little bit, have to replace a lot of pieces off last year's team that ultimately got their teeth kicked in in the national championship. I don't think the national championship is an indicator of where that program's going, but 17 just felt a little bit high, at least here in the preseason with what comes back and what we know. Number 19, Wisconsin, feels a little bit low. Part of you might look at the transition and think maybe there might be some speed bumps for Luke Fickle and co., I, however, look at the schedule. I look at their personnel, the individual that they added via the portal, the the culture that's already seemingly been created on the defensive side that shouldn't lose much at all on that side. And then offensively, knowing they're going to breathe some life into an offense that's been stagnant for quite a while, I think 19 is way too low for Wisconsin. They're going to be favored right now. If you were to just take a picture of how it might sort out in their 12 games, they're favored in at least 10 games. And Minnesota is one where they're an underdog, and that's a coin toss to me in the final game of the regular season. So I think Wisconsin at 19, probably a little bit low. Oklahoma at 20. I think Oklahoma's got a chance to really bounce back this year. You've heard me talking about the Sooners for a while. They're in at number 20. I think it's a little bit too low. I think it's a little bit too low. This team, with how they've fortified the front, with how the offense seemingly is starting to come together, they still have really good weapons. Dylan Gabriel continues to feel very good within Jeff Levy's offense. I would have Oklahoma no worse than second in the Big 12 right now. If I were putting my top 25 together, however, according to the AP, they are number four in the Big 12. At 21, North Carolina, a surprising one for many and one for me too. I think the offense has a chance to be dynamic. But defensively, until I know for certain that group is going to take a pretty significant step, it's hard for me to totally wrap my head around why they'd be ranked in the top 25. A lot of weapons, a lot of firepower, but defensively, still questions on that side of the ball. I would have them out. But clearly the AP likes what Drake May and company can do. And they must also look at the league as a whole and feel as though it's very gettable for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Ole Miss at 22, another team that I've been pretty high on. They probably could have them up in the teens, if you will. But for the most part, I can't push back because there are some question marks with the transition that they have going on on the defensive side. AM at 23. This feels too low to me. Look at the roster. Look at the talent. Look at how many guys played last year as a true freshman and how they will now be stepping into the spotlight as second-year players that are a little bit more physically and mentally mature. I think A&M's schedule is really difficult, naturally, having to go to Miami in the non-conference, difficult game in week two. But either way, A&M sitting there at 23 feels a little bit low. Feels like the, the AP voters are a little bit like Texas, maybe burned by A&M last year. That would be a team that just based on the roster, based on the talent, I would have up just a little bit higher than 23. At 24, Tulane is in from the American, the first group of five program that we've seen here in the top 25. I wouldn't have them in my top 25 starting out. I think they have a few pieces to replace. I know they bring back their quarterback. I know they bring back some quality pieces on both lines of scrimmage, but still having them in the top 25 to me feels a little bit aggressive in the early goings, especially with UTSA's emergence, with SMU's emergence. The American to me feels pretty dang deep, especially at the top of the conference. And then finally, Iowa 
in at number 25, should be better at quarterback, should be improved with some of the weapons that they have that they've added on the offensive side. But man, I can't get behind Iowa. I think they're great. I think they're great on defense, but I don't trust their offense still to this day. I can't justify at this moment having them in the top 25. Three notable omissions for me. UCLA should have been in the top 25. Kentucky, based on what they bring back, the new offensive coordinator, some of the additions that they made in the portal, Devin Leary at quarterback, Ray Davis at running back, they should be in the top 25. And then finally, Mississippi State, I feel should be in the top 25 with all the pieces that they have coming back. And I understand they are in a major state of transition, new offensive identity. But you look at the pieces that are running that new offensive identity. A lot of those guys have played a lot of football, including their quarterback, Will Rogers, who might theoretically break most of the SEC's passing records by season's end. So a lot of things to take into account. Six from the SEC, Florida State being ahead of Clemson, five teams from the Pac-12, and that's omitting a team that I think should definitely be in there in UCLA. Three teams from the SEC in the top five, three teams from the Big Ten in the top seven. Next year in 2024, all seven teams will be either from the SEC or from the Big Ten. And then Oklahoma being the fourth best Big 12 team, according to the AP, feels like it's a little bit of a reach for me. Scrimmages are officially in the books. Only one, though. Some teams didn't necessarily have a full scrimmage on Saturday, but we've been kind of leading to this point. Most teams at this point are between 10 and 16 days into fall camp. So you have somewhat of an idea of who's going to play where. Starting to get a little bit more clarity with some of the competitions at all these various schools, some of the guys that are starting to maybe distance themselves from the guys that they're competing against, and then some places where it still remains a little muddled. I would also caution everybody, if you're looking at scrimmage stats, okay, if you're looking at scrimmage stats and you're drawing conclusions based on what guys did statistically in a scrimmage, just be careful. Unless you see it with your own two eyes, be very careful. Because I would look and encourage everybody to go back and look at Justin Fields and his preseason performance in the first preseason game just the other day. His stat line, his quarterback rating, all these other things looked remarkable. He threw two screen passes. Both guys took it the distance. And all of a sudden, he's two for two for 150 and, and two touchdowns. So just not all touchdown passes are created equal. Not all great plays are necessarily indicators of success and the box score. So just take it with a slight grain of salt if you're going off the stats, but here's what we've heard, okay? And like I said, take all this information with a slight to moderate grain of salt. This is what we've been told. We were not there to observe. So this is by a third party. Feel good about the information because these third parties haven't let me down in the past, but there is some encouragement and we're going to find the silver lining pretty much everywhere like we always do. Because right now, everybody's undefeated. Why would we not? Let's start at Alabama. A lot of people very intrigued by the quarterback situation. We'll get there in a minute. What I'm more intrigued by is that the offensive line is starting to come into form. Very encouraged by this development because I know what Tommy Reese is all about offensively. He wants to pound the football. And if you look at the starting five that was out there this past weekend, they have the likes and the lookings of a group that could impose their will from a physical standpoint. From left to right, you got Caden Proctor, Terrence Ferguson, Seth McLaughlin, Tyler Booker, and JC Latham. If you average that out across the board, you're looking at at least six foot five, 325 pounds. 
The big development there is the true freshman Proctor at left tackle, and then Terrence Ferguson at left guard, who's still in the midst of a competition, but a big physically imposing guy that's come a long way. They're very excited about him. Another position of concern coming into this year has been safety. As of right now, the UAB transfer Jalen Key is alongside Caleb Downs, which is encouraging. They've been excited about what true freshman Caleb Downs has done since he arrived on campus. I'm not going to say he's Minka, Fat, Minka Fitzpatrick 2.0. That is an unfair expectation to put on a true freshman. But it's probably about as glowing a review from a true freshman at that position as I've heard in a while. So take that with a slight to moderate grain of salt. If you've been listening to this program, one guy that we've been very high on in the tight end room has been Amari Nyblack. He continues to be a problem for the Alabama defense. He's very long. He's very athletic and will likely be a huge factor in the passing game, especially if they emphasize play action the way I anticipate them too. One other name in the running back room that nobody's really talking about, but I'm just going to tell you here first, remember the name Jam Miller. Will he ultimately become the starting back? I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I still think they go with a by-committee approach, but Jam Miller is a name to remember based on how he's performed up to this point of fall camp. And then finally, let's get to the quarterbacks. Keep in mind, Alabama structures their scrimmage a little bit differently. In the very beginning of the scrimmage, you have the number one offense against the number two defense. The number one offense this past weekend was run by Jalen Milrow, who had really a solid day. Granted, going against the twos, had some really nice plays against the twos. He should, though. The number ones should be ahead of the twos, at least at this point. Did have a nice touchdown pass to Jermaine Burton, and they were encouraged by his growth. What they were also very encouraged by, though, when taking this into account, is that Ty Simpson ran with the twos against the number one defense. Now, most people say he started slow. Well, yeah, of course he did. He's going against the number one defense with the number two offense. Dallas Turner, Jaheim Otis, those guys are rushing the quarterback with a backup offensive line. And Ty Simpson showed poise. He showed command. And he didn't take any unnecessary risks, which I think is a step in the right direction for what appears at this point to be kind of a two-quarterback race. Tyler Buckner, the transfer from Notre Dame, doesn't appear to be a factor, at least at this point. Just too much ground to make up. So I would anticipate the quarterback decision coming down to either Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson. I think that decision is far from being made. Let's go just to the East a little bit to talk about Auburn. Speaking of quarterback situation, think about and listen to what Hugh Freeze had to say last week. And he said, hey, I kind of thought this is how it was going to go. Thought it was basically, he didn't say this, but let's read between the lines. Thought it was going to be Peyton Thorne's team, the transfer from Michigan State. Thought it was going to be him. Well, all of a sudden you fast forward to this past Saturday, very encouraged by what they saw, not only from Robbie Ashford, but also from Holden Gariner, who is the kind of afterthought guy, hasn't really been discussed alongside Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford. A lot of people thought it was a two-horse race. Well, if you look at the three quarterbacks just standing there throwing the football, Holden Gariner is probably going to be the most impressive. But right now, being a young player, the processing is still trying to get up to speed. However, you really impressed on Saturday's scrimmage. So if the quarterback derby does extend, here's how I really think it's going right now. And whether you want to interpret it this way or not, I think Peyton Thorne's the guy. He's going to be the starter at Auburn. That's what I assume. I think the battle right now for the backup spot between Robbie Ashford and Holden Gariner is very intriguing. I still think Robbie Ashford, regardless of whether he's the backup of the three, will have a role in the offense because he's that athletic. 
but it's worth noting, at least at this point, that that quarterback room and at least the pecking order between the three is very much up in the air. Like I said, I'll put it with the stamp of approval. As of right now, I still think it's going to be Peyton Thorne when push comes to shove. Let's go over to the East a little bit further and talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. This is Carson Beck's team at quarterback. Not that concerned about that position. The one thing that we learned, at least from this past weekend, talking to the people that we've talked to, is the defense, as of right now, is significantly ahead of the offense. That's to be expected, by the way. At this point, in order for the offense to gain yards, right? Think about the offense to gain yards. All 11 offensive players have to be on the same page. The offensive line has to be working in tandem en route to opening up holes in the run game. The wide receivers have to be at their certain depths for the quarterback to be able to anticipate the throw. They have to have that chemistry that takes a little time to work on. The defense, however, only one guy has to win. And guess what? The offense's play is completely destroyed. So if a defensive lineman destroys an offensive lineman, guess what? That run play is now a loss of two. Even though 10 guys on offense did the right thing, all one, all that had to happen was one guy on defense making a play in the backfield, and the play was essentially stuffed out. Carson Beck's the guy. Drops are a big concern. One other thing, too. A lot of people are worried about drops. It's not exclusive to Georgia. You hear some about, about it at Alabama. You hear some about it at Ohio State. You hear some about it at other places. USC, uh, according to people, have, have had some issues with drops. Here's what I would say about the receiver position in general, especially throughout the South. I live in Birmingham. It was 110 degrees on Saturday. On the field in Tuscaloosa, for instance, 113 degrees. Receivers are a group that requires a lot of concentration. And concentration is a little bit more fleeting when you're practicing in difficult circumstances. Now, if you're in the indoor facility and everything's perfect, yeah, you're going to be able to throw it all over the yard and everybody should catch every single pass. I'm not making excuses, but receivers are a fickle bunch. And if you do have drops in a first spring scrimmage when it's or first fall scrimmage when it's a billion degrees, it's not that it's not that unusual. It's all over the place. So now it's Point of emphasis, hey, concentrate, 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 because the first thing about catching the football is concentration. So I'm not worried about Georgia's receivers dropping the ball because I look at the people that clearly were not those that were involved in dropping the ball, Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers. They didn't have any issues with drops. Guess what? Those are going to be the two guys that you rely on first and foremost. Another guy, too, to keep in mind, Anthony Evans, true freshman. His name's starting to percolate out a little bit. Pretty excited about him. A lot of focus on... Dominic Lovett, a lot of focus on Rara Thomas. Remember the name, Anthony Evans. Another thing too, they got some issues with their depth at running back. Worth noting, not right now. I'm not going to be super concerned about it, not at least the middle of August, but when push comes to shove, let's take a look at that group here a couple of weeks from now. Hopefully they'll be deep enough. I don't think it's a crazy star-studded group, but they're going to be solid across the board. Georgia always is. Let's go up to Ohio State. Here's one thing that is starting to become just the tiniest bit of a concern. I'm not going to sit here and, and lose a ton of sleep over it because we're still a few weeks away from when Ohio State really needs to start playing good football. But Tyleek Williams missed practice last week, undisclosed reasons, injured his leg on the first day of camp, has not been seen since. Uh, not sure whether his absence was due to injury or for something else, but he has not been there. Michael Hall uh, went down with a leg injury just a couple days ago. 
Fake was able to get up and walk under his own power, but was walking with a noticeable limp from those people that were watching closely. Omari Abor uh, has been out, or at least will be out for a couple months because of a medical procedure. Those are all three defensive linemen. So Ohio State, look, we know they're really deep. We know they're really talented. But if you start to have attrition at a position, there's one position I really don't want to have attrition at, and that's the defensive line. And conversely, the offensive line. Really, the line of scrimmage, man, you got to stay healthy there. You have to stay healthy there. And they're starting to have some guys that, that were hopeful to kind of maybe find their way into the rotation or at least get within striking distance of the rotation. In some cases, some guys that were going to be starting steps. Not ideal to see those guys at, at less than 100%. The other thing that we're focusing on with Ohio State is the offensive line. Now, still rotating a lot of people right now. Still trying to figure out what their best group is going to be. But the first team as of right now, from left to right, Jimmy Simmons, Donathan Jackson, Carson Hinsman, Matthew Jones, and Josh Fryer. Now, we'll, we'll see if that continues to be an evolution, but that's the group from left to right. And remember, the one position group that I am most concerned about as it relates to Ohio State is not the quarterback situation, not even the secondary, where I know some people have been a little concerned more on them in just a second, but it's that offensive line because this is a high-powered, high-octane machine, and Ryan Day is going to coach around it. He's going to do a great job. There's no denying that. Even if the offensive line is a slight liability compared to what it's been, they're still going to be okay because I think Ryan Day is a good enough coach to understand their weaknesses, move the pocket, misdirection, RPOs, screens, things to take the pressure off that group, Mix up the snap count, things to help them out a little bit, help the tackles out if they're struggling against a speed rush, maybe bring Cade Stover in and remind those defensive events, hey, just so you know, I'm here. Give them a little rib shot on the way out into the route. So there's plenty of things that you can do to alleviate those concerns, but that's where it stands right now as far as the offensive line is concerned. The defensive backs, another position that we've been focusing on for Ohio State throughout the course of the offseason. We know that Denzel Burke's going to be your number one. That shouldn't surprise anybody that's listened to this. We want Denzel Burke to look more like the guy from a couple of years ago, not last year, but hopefully he can lock down that starting spot, lock down that number one corner position, and return to what he at one point was. Jordan Hancock has been the other guy. That's been the starter up to this point. But if you hear and kind of listen to some folks around the program, they're very excited about what they're getting right now from Davison Agenbison. Like they're really excited about Agenbison. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. That's a pretty dang good top three to rely on at the corner spot. If that's a position of concern coming into the year, I'm not saying they've totally solidified that spot, but you got those three, then you got Jair Brown there in the slot. And you're starting to cook with gas, I think, in the secondary. If you're Ohio State, we know we feel good about the safeties. That hasn't been a concern in quite some time. And then finally, we can't talk Ohio State about talk without talking about the quarterbacks. You listen to Ryan Day, and I'm, I, I don't try, you know, he's of course going to build up all his guys, and I understand that. And you listen to people that, that have been watching practice. They've been very impressed with both guys. Kyle McCord has made some great throws. Kyle McCord has missed a couple throws, too. Uh, Devin Brown has made some great throws, missed a few as well. The athleticism of Kyle McCord, according to those that have been observing closely, a lot of people are really encouraged by the mobility he's shown. Now, granted, it's you know, he's, he's taking off and extending plays and, and doing all these things with a non-contact jersey. So it's a little easier to extend plays when you're not getting hit. I get that. But for those that are unaware of his skill set, the biggest takeaway has been, man, he can actually really move. 
He can run, maybe even more so than C.J. Stroud the last couple of years, considerably more so than C.J. Stroud. And we know that Devin Brown has that mobility as well. So something to keep an eye on there as the quarterback situation moves on. But I'm going to listen to Ryan Day. I'm going to believe Ryan Day when he tells me that that quarterback competition, as of right now, is way too close to call. We'll keep updating you with the best information we have, at least at the time. Let's go down to Oklahoma, where there's some buzz. There's some buzz coming from the Sooners. And I'm, I'm starting to feel and drink the Sooner Kool-Aid, I might add. I'm, I'm going to resist the urge to chug the Sooner Kool-Aid. But I'll take a sip. I'll take a sip here in the middle of August. Why wouldn't I? A couple of names that are coming out of camp right now as far as the excitement they're starting to generate. Andrew Anthony, uh, newcomer transfer from Michigan, has had some really encouraging moments up to this point, has developed a rapport already, has a good understanding and feel for the offense. They think... I don't know if they necessarily would call it a home run, but they're very excited about what they've found in Andrell Anthony. Keep an eye on him. He's making a lot of plays against the DBs in one-on-one situations. And then what are we focused on most as it relates to Oklahoma? How about the front seven, the defensive line? They are not really all that surprised with what Rondell Bothroyd, Ethan Downs, and Jonah Lalu are doing. No one's surprised by that, but what they're really excited about is the depth, the guys that are starting to come on behind them. Isaiah Coe, Dejan, J- J- uh, Dejan Terry, and Jordan Kelly. Those are the three guys that continue. You kind of hear some buzz about those three. The depth at that defensive line is a paramount position for that group. And then you have Trace Ford as well, who continues to impress. So Trace Ford doing a great job, but to go six deep on the interior, you got to feel pretty good about the additions that they've made in the portal and the depth they've tried to create and the competition that they've tried to create here in Brent Venable's second year. Very, very optimistic about what we're getting from Oklahoma. Let's go to Penn State just for a minute. A few things emerging. They had their open practice to their NIL contributors and things like that this past Saturday. One name that, this is not a name that anybody hasn't heard before, Keontae Lambert-Smith. They are really excited about the season he might have. I mean, there's start. it's starting to get to a point where he is clearly the alpha dog in the wide receiver room. He is clearly getting into the point where he's a leader. He's holding other guys accountable. He's getting the young guys, a lot of coaching tips, a lot of pointers. That is a name that is well on its way, at least as of right now, to... I'm not saying he's within striking distance of first team all Big Ten honors. I'm not going to necessarily go that far. We already know a couple guys who are in line to potentially receive those honors, Marvin Harrison, et cetera. But when we fast forward down the road, we know Michigan or we know Penn State's going to be able to run the ball. We we know that that's going to be a big part of their offense. We know they're going to be pretty dang good on defense, really salty up front. Going to be able to get after the quarterback. Probably going to have a bunch of sacks amongst their their top guys. Going to be really good at the second level defensively. But when we really think about what Penn State needs to become, if they are going to threaten in the Big Ten, if they are going to threaten to get to the college football playoff, if Keandre Lambert-Smith can go for 1,000, maybe six, seven, eight touchdowns, think about having that presence on the perimeter to complement that run game and to take some of the pressure off their first-year starting quarterback. I know Drew Allers played a lot of games. I understand that. But it's his first year being thrust into the starting role. If Keandre Lambert-Smith can emerge and have an all-Big Ten type of season, that is going to do massive things. 
and how the defense might structure. Maybe they have to double team it. Maybe he comes good enough to where you have to double Keandre Lambert Smith at all times, which opens up isolations against everybody else. And guess what? If you keep a safety over the top of him, guess what that safety can't do? Come up and run support. So that's a really positive thing that we've seen in coming out of Penn State's camp is the ownership that has been taken by Keandre Lambert Smith and where he could inevitably go this year. Let's go to LSU. And the biggest question mark for LSU has probably been the defensive backs. I mean, that they, they obviously had to attack it. They went to the portal, got a bunch of guys out of the portal, said, man, we really got to solidify this position. They got guys at other positions as well. I mean, we know they added a linebacker. We know they added a couple other pieces. I get that. But the secondary felt like the highest priority for Brian Kelly in the offseason. And understandably, I mean, you think about some of the passing attacks they're going to see in the SEC West. Think about the possibility of playing Georgia again in the SEC championship game. Georgia's going to throw it all over the yard in a dome setting, I might add. So you better be good in the back end. And the name that everybody continues to say as far as having a terrific camp is Deuce Chestnut. That's the transfer from Syracuse. And if you listen to what Matt House, uh, the, the coordinator, the defensive coordinator, you listen to what he's had to say about Deuce Chestnut. It's like he's a gamer. He's a smart player. He understands what we're doing. He understands how to do it at a high level. So he is clearly starting to emerge as a home run for the LSU coaching staff as far as portal additions and wins. Two other names that continue to come out right now. Ashton Stamps, who is young but is growing up really fast. And then Zy Alexander, who's the transfer from southeastern Louisiana. They were a little bit curious as to how much of a learning curve will it be coming up from the FCS and now playing against SEC caliber opponents. Well, he's got great length. We know that. But they have been really encouraged by what they've seen from him. So LSU, they might have found a few, found a few guys out there on the perimeter, which would alleviate the concerns that were there or existed all off season. So something to keep in mind there. If they can figure out that back end of the defense, we know they can rush the passer with Harold Perkins and Mason Smith. We know they're going to be really solid at off the ball linebacker with the addition that they made in the portal in spades. We feel pretty good about what they have at safety to a certain extent. It was all about the perimeter. And if they can lock down those two spots with Deuce Chestnut, Zy Alexander, and then fit Ashton Stampson where you can fit him, you're probably in pretty good shape there in the back end defensively. Now, Cooper Mays has been sidelined, had a procedure. They're really optimistic about him being able to get back in time for Virginia, but it's not a 100% slam dunk guarantee that he's going to be available week one. It's not. So the interior offensive line depth for Tennessee is a big problem. Now, I feel good. Great, actually. I'd go as far as to say I'm feeling great about their left tackle. They have been raving about John Campbell since he transferred. They're really excited about him locking down that spot. He was really in the midst of a big competition with Gerald Mincy. He destroyed Gerald Mincy at that position in the competition. He has locked down and solidified that spot. Now, what they're trying to do is get Gerald Mincy to move to right tackle, which has been a bit of a tug of war as of right now. But if he does, he'll probably be the plug and play starter. If he's not, then it'll probably be Crawford. But the interior of the offensive line, we know Spragans is great at right guard. Feel okay about him. But right now, they're repping Dane Davis. They're repping Ollie Lane. That's Those are the guys repping right now at center. Dane Davis is 6'7". And I, I don't know a whole lot about leverage. I'm not an engineer. Uh, I don't know these things. But I know at 6'7", it's hard to play center. 
Name me one six seven center that's ever been an elite player. I, I don't know any. So I feel like right now, Dane Davis, yes, he's just subbing in for the moment. Maybe Ollie Lane will ultimately be the guy there at center if Cooper Mays can't go. But the depth along the interior of the offensive line, especially knowing Joe Milton, very talented arm, very gifted football player. But if he gets pressure up the middle, he's not as fleet-footed as Hendon Hooker was. So the interior of that offensive line has to be really solid. The depth is a question mark. And if Cooper Mays is less than available, and if he is less than 100% throughout the season because of a lingering procedure to his upper body, that would be something that I would be a little bit concerned about right now if I were a Tennessee fan. Let's keep it in the UT family and talk about the Texas Longhorns. The first thing you hear about when it comes to the Texas Longhorns scrimmage on Saturday was that Arch Manning had a 50-yard run. You know, I don't care. <laughs> Arch Manning's a great player. We knew he was a great player. Everyone said, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to translate. Look at the spring. You know, he's, he's drinking out of a fire hose. He's a true freshman that is trying to play with ma massive expectations. Going up to Texas, supposed to be the savior. It doesn't happen like that all the time. It's a tough spot to be in. So he's finally starting to become more comfortable. And according to people that watch the scrimmage closely, they're really encouraged by his growth at the position, but that shouldn't really surprise you. He's a talented guy. He's going to have a great career. It just might take a little bit longer than some might have suggested. Meanwhile, at running back, I think Texas feels great about their depth at that spot. Jonathan Brooks can be the alpha. CJ Baxter is going to be right there. So if Jonathan Brooks is your Batman, CJ Baxter is your Robin, you're in great shape. Then you got Keelan Robinson to fill in as kind of the in-space guy, the move guy, get him on jet sweeps, hit him out in the passing game. You're in a really good spot there. Xavier Worthy did not participate, but guess who did? A.D. Mitchell. And everybody, the transfer from Georgia, everybody is saying this dude is different. And that just makes the rich richer because we already know that Xavier Worthy is going to be a dude come fall. We know he's going to have a great, great season. You got Isaiah Nair, who's coming back from injury, who they have been very high on for better part of a year and a half. Now, got banged up last year, missed the season. So it's unfortunate, but he's now back fully recovered from the ACL injury. He should have a big year. Jordan Whittington, name me somebody who's more reliable than Jordan Whittington in that receiver core. And you got LT Overton at tight end. Now you got A.D. Mitchell, who's really coming on. I mean, man, they are in great shape as far as weapons are concerned. I don't know if they're quite to Ohio State's level, but there aren't many people better than Texas as it relates to the weapons that they have. But maybe the biggest development coming out of Texas's scrimmage is the play of the defensive line. Byron Murphy has been really disruptive, but Alfred Collins is the name that everyone continues to buzz about. Alfred Collins, Byron Murphy, Trill Carter, the Minnesota transfer, is just going to hold down the point. Really big physical body. Plus, you got Sorrell off the edge. You got other guys off the edge. Jalen Ford's completely, quote, indispensable, according to sources. They're front seven, guys. Texas's front seven has a chance to be legit. They have a chance to be really, really good, really, really disruptive. Remember, they led the nation in hurries last year, but now they got to finish. And it appears like some of those guys have taken ownership of that position group. They've gotten deeper, and they might have a chance to be significantly better than they were last year. Finally, we'll finish at SC. Now, the thing that I continue to hear about with SC, I was hoping or at least thinking I was going to get quite a bit from the transfers. What I've actually gotten more than anything else from SC have been the freshmen. 
I continue to hear freshman's name, Tackett Curtis, who now is going by the nickname Captain America, by the way, amongst his teammates. Uh, Caleb Williams said that his name wouldn't be Captain America. It'd be, quote, Destroyer. Meaning what? I don't know. <laughs> Basically, he's running around and hitting everything in sight and hitting him hard. So Tackett Curtis has actually found his way into the first team rotation a little bit alongside Mason Cobb. So an interesting development out there where the Trojans might be going a little bit young, but very, very talented there at the second level defensively. And then another name that we continue to hear, Zachariah Branch, who keeps coming up. You talk to some of the offensive folks out there. You talk to some of the media out there. His name continues to come up as as a playmaker that maybe they didn't quite expect to be a difference maker this early on in his career, but might actually have a considerable role here in the fall for the Trojans. Thanks so much for being with us. Terrific show, reacting, overreacting. Perhaps some of you might feel that way to the AP Top 25 and give you some whispers, giving you some whispers. Keep it locked in here to Always College Football on the ESPN YouTube page because we have a bunch of other whispers that we want to make sure that you get. But in the efforts of time, it didn't quite make the show. So keep it locked in. We have plenty of information that will continue to come your way. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a terrific day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.